This is the Strike Mash Boil podcast, presented by the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club. This week, it's all about coffee and hop extracts, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Strike Mash Boil. I'm Marco, president of Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, and I'm joined by my co-host, Phil. With us today, we have two guests. Uh, returning again, both of them uh, from season one is Mr. Lactose himself, Joe, and Tim Lousen. Guys, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. Thanks for having yeah. me. Same here. So this being uh, your first uh, show uh, this season, well, Joe, you were with us on the Night Shift show, um, but we kind of recorded that one uh, a little while ago. So now we have our quick fire questions, new round. Uh, so why don't we run through those real quick? Uh, Joe, you can answer first, and then Tim, you can answer second. So first up, what is your favorite specialty malt? Uh, favorite specialty malt, uh, I think I probably said this last time, a double, double roasted crystal. Um, it's a really nice flavor to the beer. Okay. Tim? Yeah, I can't say I have a favorite at this point. I'm, you know, still figuring that out so i'm gonna cheap out on that one and um i'll tell you next time so okay. sorry that's the best i can uh, do that works <laughs> oh. what is your favorite hop variety uh citra yeah and i have to i would have to double that yeah ditto no. okay what is your favorite yeast strain so4 from uh Safale. it's just it's pretty versatile it, it, it works great Okay. Um, hmm. Be strain. Uh, man. Sorry, guys. I'm not very quick fire with quick fire stuff. You need to give me these answer questions ahead of time so that they're less quick fire. Tim, what was the last yeast you used? Probably SO5. That's the one. There it is. Yeah. This is Tim's favorite. favorite. Actually, so if you're going to edit this, Phil. SO5, I'm just going to up one on uh, Joe and okay. go with the five. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, what beer style do you keep coming back to brew over and over? Uh, it's going to have to be New England IPA. Um, I know it gets a lot of uh, flack out there right now, but it's it's what I want to have on draft. Um, Who's giving New England IPA flack? <laughs> Nobody's giving that. No, that's not true. Nobody's, <laughs> Nobody's giving New England it, IPAs flack. So. <laughs> that's not a that's not a true statement. The only one giving New England IPAs flack is probably the Chicago beer guy on uh, Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I see it every day. Uh, <laughs> a lot no, it, no, it's those. It's the ones that have all that extra crap in it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so for me, I keep coming back to West Coast IPA actually. So I, I'd like I'm looking for trying to perfect that old school West Coast IPA. Oddly, I drink a lot of New England IPAs, but I I want that classic West Coast IPA. I want to nail it, and that's 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 my uh, my goal, current goal. Tim, do you August. log um, how which how often you brew beers? Sure. Yep. So Munich Hellas versus. West Coast IPA, which one have you brewed more? West Coast IPA. Yep. I feel like I've had them the same amount of times, but I might be mistaken. Yeah, you know, I, I toggle back and forth. I, I like the lagers a lot, but I like the IPAs a lot. And I, I just, I want a, a nice, 
hit you in the face with bitterness, uh, hoppy, classic West Coast IPA, and so that's uh, I keep pursuing it. I've made a million of them. Well, not a million of them. Quite a few at this point. So, Hmm. yep. All right. What is your most intimidating beer style to brew? Uh, It's gonna be probably any lagers, really. Uh, It's it's just. They're, you got to be so delicate with it. A- anything going wrong in that beer is going to get picked up right away. So it's pretty much basically a new style of lager that I haven't done before. is is pretty intimidating because I, I don't want five gallons of beer that I'm going to not love drinking. Yeah, interestingly, I'm the opposite, Joe. So the lagers for me have been um, – I've had good success with the lagers. So for me, actually, the – uh, a a uh, well West Coast IPA still has been the one I've been pursuing to get uh, what I you know hit what I'm what my goals are anyhow for it so that's that's where I've had the most uh, challenge I would say it, it, they're all been really excellent you know or very drinkable but um, meeting my my expectations that's that's where I've is your know, expectation so like Pliny. Like, yeah, like what, what, like what beer is it that you're trying to? Piney, like, um, you know, I just want that nice piney, uh, resiny. Uh, you know, you guys tasted the last one, the last uh, attempt during the uh, uh, Advent beer, and I just need to up the bitterness on that guy, and I think I'm getting pretty close. So, I would agree with that. Yeah. Mm. All right. What is the worst thing you ever brewed? <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, I, I, honestly, it's not my first beer. Uh, the fr- my first beer was an Irish uh, stout, and it actually came out pretty good. We didn't have an infection. <laughs> it was pretty good. I think the, it was the second beer that I ever brewed was the worst beer I ever did because I got a little cocky. I thought I knew what I was doing, and um, I just threw together a recipe without knowing what any of it was, you know, really was. And I, I ended up making just like hop water. It didn't have mm. like any sugar um yeah i i don't think i even crushed the grain because i went to the homebrew shop and i just bought grain versus like using a like you know a liquid extract or malt extract so um yeah i just threw the grain in there and i probably didn't you know crush it or do anything so uh yeah it was the worst beer i ever made so for me it's it's a beer i still want to make for you guys because i i i i really enjoyed I was at Naples visiting my folks in Naples, and they had this great uh, sort of outdoor uh, open air uh, brewery, and they had a, a fruity pebbles wheat beer. Uh, and so I, I even emailed the the brewery after I got home, and I was like, "Hey, I, you know, I really enjoyed it. It was it was it was super cool. It was like fruity pebbles in a beer. And if I grew up not on fruity pebbles, but heck, you know." I, I had Fruity Pebbles as a kid a lot. It was really good. But uh, when I brewed it, it was black when I, I finished it. And, <laughs> I mean, like solid black. It was oh, nasty looking, and it just wasn't good. So it was the whatever blueberry probably extract I was using. But I'll, uh, I'll get a return to that, and someday it'll be at one of our meetings. It was a drain pour, five gallons of drain pour. So. Did you actually put Fruity Pebbles in the beer? No, no, there's no Fruity Pebbles in it. It's just uh, some extracts, hmm. and I had the wrong one. <clears throat> okay. Uh, what is your favorite homebrewing mod or hack? Uh, I guess 
for me is uh, my Vorloff arm is just the my spoon. So instead of attaching anything, I just uh, pour the uh, like my Vorloff liquid over my spoon, and it creates a really nice pattern of uh, spreading that out. It's, okay. it's, it's easy, and I, so I never hook up any type of Vorloff arm. I just use the spoon. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a hack or a mod, but it's a piece of equipment that's helped me with filtering all the anything I'm dry hopping. It's a ginormous frickin' filter that uh, probably a few people have at this point. A giant stainless steel guy with a giant filtering sleeve, and it's just you know I was constantly clogging every time trying to uh, when I was you know uh, kegging. Anything that was dry hopped, and uh, that guy saves my life every time. It's kind of a pain. I've built a uh, special bucket and system to accommodate this giant filter, but it works so great. And I can just, you know, you could have the whole thing could be full of dry hops, and it would just come out just fine afterwards. So, no. All right. What is your favorite ballpark or stadium beer? Uh, The Jack's Abbey House Lager. Uh, hell yeah family. yeah that's just it's a great I'll, one I'll, yeah I'll, I'll crush that all day i gotta say uh a sammy adams uh lager was uh, like the og many... boston lager yes exactly the og boston lager it's also a good one all right what is your favorite pub game pool dart shuffleboard um amongst many others the ring thing the ring toss thing yeah yeah i would say probably the ring toss game if i see that anywhere i i got a beeline right does anybody it. know the name of that damn game i don't know the name of it um the one on the string right with the hook i did yeah i did put one in my backyard uh so it just spent hours playing it I, so i finally googled it and it's uh on Amazon, it comes up as Tiki Toss Hook and Ring Game. All right, didn't I say I thought it was a Tiki game? I think you well, did. The fucking you did. we were talking about this with yeah. uh, the Doc, and he had never. So first of all, for you guys, he'd never it, seen it. He'd never heard of the game before. Wow, which I thought was fascinating that he had never heard of the game before, and so we were describing it to him. And I, I during that episode, I had said that I think. It's a tiki game because every time they sell this damn thing, it's on like this surfboard, it's on like a surfboard yeah. type thing ah. with the hook on it. Yeah. See, I first saw it in uh, Mystic Brewing in Chelsea. Yeah, uh, they had it on the wall there, and that that was the first time I ever even seen it at all. I spent a lot of time playing that game. Yeah, for me, shuffleboard all the way, else. baby. I okay. could play that uh, that giant shuffleboard game, and interestingly, the same place that had that that fruity pebbles wheat. Had the shuffleboard, and you know, it was Naples, Florida, warm air, shuffleboard outside, super cool. All so. right, so hold on. So I'm seeing that it's called, it's called ringing the bull. Oh, interesting. I don't see <laughs> that because it's conversion. using a swinging bullnose ring, huh? Attached to a string in an arc to hook it onto a bullnose hook. I wonder if it just depends on how you Google it. Well, what Maybe you're in. I do yeah. see the tiki toss yeah. hook and ring game too. All right, uh, and the last question, last quick fire, uh, twelve minutes in already. Uh, what is your favorite American swill? Rolling Rock. 
Oh my god, you like ugh. What? I mean, that's what I, that's what I drank in college. Uh, so it's just it's nostalgic. I just remember there was an article that described it as like uh, four sweaty frat boys in a tent for a weekend, and that's Rolling Rock. Yeah, I don't know. My, my uncle always drank it when I was younger, and then uh, you know I picked some up in college, and then my other buddy loved it. My roommate loved it. So like we would get uh, for some right when they got sold, um, they had eighteen packs for like nine ninety nine. Oh. Uh, you just couldn't go wrong. Yeah. Uh, well, interestingly, Joe, I'm right there with you, man. So. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Rocks. Jesus. I, well, so I probably shouldn't tell anybody this. No. But like, so I worked at a, a, a printing company, like, you know, printing like paper and stuff. This place in West Concord. And uh, we would go out at lunch. And have uh, split a, a six pack of Rolling Rocks and a, and, a, and a pizza, and then come back to work. And we were running all this at like machinery that would like grab your fingers or anything that you got close to it and suck it in, and or chop your coworkers don't listen and to this like podcast, that. right? Sure I feel like you just jeopardized right, your job. Right? No, that was right. his old no, job. Was, this old was, job. This was 1983 or something. So because Tim does not do that anymore. I don't really does not hardly. do that anymore. Right now, I fly planes when I'm been drinking. So, um, <laughs> well, and it's not Rolling right Rock now. anymore. He's uh, chose some more sophisticated craft beer Much that he drinks at lunchtime. Exactly. So, but yeah, I, I I have to say I have fond memories of the Rolling Rock, thirty three baby. All right, so that was our quick fire round for these guys. wasn't that quick, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you guys. Um, so we thought we'd talk a little bit about brewing process on this uh, segment, and uh, specifically uh, it came up in our um, Facebook group uh, this past week, uh, which is using coffee and beer. Um, kind of a, a there's like a probably a dozen ways to do it, um, and so we figured we'd chat about it a little bit. Um, you know, you can go back to our Facebook group and see what was written down there, but. Um, well, yeah, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about coffee and beer. Well, I'll, I'll start off by talking about what you absolutely should not do when okay. it comes to adding coffee to beer. And that is brewing a traditional cup of coffee and then dumping it into your beer. So uh, why it, should you not do that? Yeah, so there's a couple of reasons. Number one, it inhibits all of that coffee bitterness into your beer. <laughs> so all of those characters that you get from... Uh, that bitter coffee character, that's coming. As soon as you are hot brewing coffee, you're pulling that and it's going into your beer. Uh, the other thing that it does, too, that I, in my experience, is if you've ever had a coffee beer that tastes like green peppers, it's coming also from that hot side brewing of coffee. So when you are when you taste a coffee beer that has that green vegetable pepper character, that's also coming from hot side brewing and adding it to uh, a beer. So, uh, th- you know, that is a method to do it. Uh, but in my experience, that is the method that you want to avoid unless you like the green pepper character or you're trying to add that coffee bitterness to your beer. Yeah. So first off, well, after that, I think the next thing is like picking a style of beer to go with the coffee, right? I mean, you can't just throw coffee in any, any beer. Um, I guess, I mean, well, who says you can't? Uh, yeah, I guess you can't. But uh, should you coffee uh, ideas? Uh, right, well, you could. 
You could, but right. should you? I forget which which brewery. Uh, I think it was Stone had a coffee IPA, and it was fantastic. It sounded like it wasn't going to work, and I, I tried it um, at like a total wine. They had like a tasting, and it, it was fantastic. So I, I really think that it, it can go into a lot more styles than you, you really think because um, the the fruity notes in coffee actually work really well with hops. Mm. Um, I, I'm not sure a coffee like New England IPA would probably work, but those resinous piney hops in the West Coast IPA uh, really work well with those flavors that come from coffee. Well, I, I have I have a friend, uh, uh, a, a close friend of mine. He works for Blue Bottle Coffee, if you guys are familiar with him or not. He's um, like the regional director of the Northeast. And they've been popping up all over Massachusetts uh, recently. And we were having a conversation about coffee and beer. And he was talking about some of the um, lesser known coffees that they produce there that have tons of fruit characters to them. Blueberry, raspberry characters that actually seem like they would be really interesting complements to some of those beers that highlight that sweetness and fruit characters. So I, I, I don't know. It could work again. So let me preface this by saying that this is adding coffee as a complement to beer, not turning into a coffee beer, which is two different things entirely. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, we've seen a lot of breweries do some really interesting beer styles with coffee, like the white stouts. Mm-hmm. That that's something that's popped up where people are adding coffee to to emulate those uh, stout characters that you'd get with chocolate malt and dark roasted malts, uh, but by introducing coffee to them. Or Carton Brewing, what was that? Co- what was that beer that they did? That literally tasted like a cup of coffee. It was. Uh, I'll, I'll look it up while we're talking, but they did Carton Brewing did a beer. It was, it was something cream or cream of coffee or coffee cream or something like that and it was literally a pale beer that had lactose in it and it was sort of like a creamy ale that was complemented with coffee and it legit tasted like drinking a cup of coffee it was it was pretty fascinating and they did it really well yeah some some of my favorite styles are are the lighter styles they say like a white stout or a blonde stout or blonde ale with coffee um, it really allows the coffee to shine through and not get overpowered by all those dark roasted malts. Yeah, I think so the, the name of the beer was Regular, regular coffee, coffee by Carton yep. Brewing, and it was an Imperial Cream Ale, twelve percent alcohol, but it had coffee added to it, and it was awesome. Yeah, interesting. Be interesting to, f- to figure out their, their process. Yeah, I think the uh, I've only done one coffee beer, and it was a uh, it was a clone of the Moose Drool uh, beer, and I went with a, um, you know, like a, a cold cold brew uh, process. So just cold brew overnight, the, the coffee grounds, you know, to what uh, the, the recipe said, and then asked, added that uh, somewhere during fermentation, maybe post fermentation, and and that was it was really nice, no bitterness, and was a, you know a really solid coffee flavor. So. Uh, I, I think the the cold brew method is probably you can't go wrong with that one anyhow. Yeah, I think that's probably the most foolproof method that we've mm. seen out there. And I think most breweries at this point that are adding coffee are using the cold brew method. Um, the one ad I do, it, it was uh, a member in our club, Stephen Bass. 
mm-hmm. made a beer that he did dry beaning to, where he basically took coffee beans and added them directly to the beer, uh, either post ferment it was post fermentation. Yeah, and the coffee character he he basically cold brewed the coffee in the beer in the keg. Yeah, and it was. <laughs> amazing like the coffee character that he pulled from it like the aromas were so on point the flavor was on point didn't have the bitterness so it was literally that same idea without diluting it into the beer so it was really it was really interesting Uh, but i've uh, i've never done it that way i've only tasted his beer done that way and it was awesome i've done the cold brew that you add to the coffee to to the beer and it was it worked out really well, and it didn't add the bitterness, and it didn't add that green pepper character, and I, I really liked that. I, I did it to of, an amber ale, which I thought worked out pretty good. I kind of oh. stole Steve Bass's uh, concept for how I I do my coffee in, in my beers. Um, so I, I it, it's a, uh, I don't know, it's a weird hybrid method that I've been doing where um, I soak the coffee beans in uh, in whiskey, for i don't know five days or so so just enough whiskey to cover you know a 12 ounce bag of beans um in a in a plastic bag and it it's basically like you're making a tincture at that point you're just using the alcohol as a solvent to to extract all those coffee flavors um out of the the beans and just doing that at room temperature for you know five days or so then i add that whole thing beans and resulting syrup into my cold crashed beer which is usually a porter and i let it sit there for 24 to 48 hours before i rack it into kegs um so at that point you're kind of doing a cold brew um and i'm doing about one ounce of whole coffee beans to one gallon of beer is my ratio thereabouts how'd you come up with that I only had 12 ounces in a bag, and it was a 12-gallon batch of beer, and it seemed to work pretty well. So, um, <laughs> That's and, you know, science right yeah, there. <laughs> and science. I do not drink coffee. Um, I think some of you guys know that already. Huh. Um, oh, I don't maybe think I knew that. You don't drink coffee yeah. at all? No, I don't no, drink no, coffee no. at all. I love uh, my coffee porter, and I love coffee and beers. Like um, uh, Night Shift's old uh, bean porter was fucking amazing. Awake is a fantastic beer. I love coffee and beer. I hate drinking coffee. That's Interesting. Weird. Tim, are you the same way? No, I love, I, no, I like coffee. Hmm. No. I dig it, but I, 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 I would say that the uh, it seems like one big advantage to the beans, like um, like Stephen was doing, you know, beans right into the keg would be you can pull them out once it it tastes mm-hmm. right, right? Let it sit, sit and sit, and then uh, you know, taste and taste and taste, and just <clears throat> you know, if yeah. you got them in a a bag or whatever that you can pull back out of there. I mean, that's what you, I do. You, I put them in a muslin bag, it. and once it's once it tastes good, I'm ready with my kegs all cleaned, sanitized, <laughs> CO2 purged, ready to go, and then I can just move it in. Well, and there's no dilution at that point. No, right. No, so, so you're if you're adding cold brew, you're because uh, you can do that with cold brew. You can dose until you get to a taste that you are happy with. True. But whatever alcohol you've calculated that, you now have to start recalculating because you're diluting it. Even if it's a small amount, you still are changing right. the alcohol content that's in there. But if you're dry beaning, you're not doing that. Yeah, I, I, I also like to say drink. dry beaning. I, that sounds really just fun to say for whatever <laughs> fucking reason. It sounds good to say. It's sexy, man. Yeah, yeah. I only drink cold brew coffee. I, I really... 
I mean, I only drank iced coffee before, but as soon as I was introduced to cold brew, I couldn't go back. I, I can, you know, you taste a regular iced coffee and it's like, get it away. <laughs> the acidity <laughs> Wait, is what just, is it? Is it because of the bitterness? It's the acidity uh, yeah. for me. It's like the tannins. Uh, I mean, it just hits a little bit differently and the cold brew is smoother. Uh, so for me, I, I've been, you know, I make my own cold brew at home and for a beer, I'll make like a, a super concentrated um, batch. Like for what I would drink would be generally around like six ounces per, I think it's like seven cups of water and six ounces of coffee makes like a, a pretty good, like, um, you know, extract. You could still water that down. But if I'm going to add it to a beer, I'm going to make 12 ounces of coffee um, with seven cups of water. So it's, it's extremely potent. Um, so when I'm adding it to a beer, I'm using like max of, you know, eight ounces so eight ounces in a five gallon, I'm really not diluting it to a point where I think, you know, I'm not dropping it even, you know, like 0.1% alcohol, maybe 0.2. Not, it, it's, it's really um, small, but that concentration really does um, boost up that flavor. So uh, I've always gone with, um, you, you know, dosing a keg. That way I can get that flavor right. If it's, you know, I, I don't want to go overboard with it. Um, so I've always found it to work pretty well with that, but a lot, what I've been reading, um, through the, the Scott Janish guide to coffee beers, um, is the, the dry beaning really does boost the aroma. And I found that from a lot of beers that I've tried that they've done the dry beaning, like especially Phil's, um, but, but a few others, um, with no cold brew coffee, like the aroma is just gigantic and you're really not getting that same aroma from, I think, dosing a keg with with cold brew, you get really great coffee flavor, but the aroma is just not quite the same as that the dry beaning. Totally agree. And 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 Stevens beer being a prime example, I, you know, I've of all the coffee beer homebrew coffee beers that I've tried, Stevens from an aroma perspective blew everybody away. He really captured it, and I suspect it has a ton to do with that. Uh, something interesting, too, with coffee in beer is a lot of times people specifically are planning beers with coffee. But I found you know, we've talked about this before in the podcast when, you know, uh, it actually came up in the uh, night shift episode. We're talking about what night shift was doing and coming up with creative ways to save beers. And we've talked about in uh, home brewing. Sometimes something goes wrong with a beer and you're thinking about creative ways to save that batch because something's off. Coffee for me has been something that has saved beers. And it's interesting, if you, especially if you have the right beer style, when you're tasting some off flavors or flavors that you don't like, adding coffee to it, had, like the, I talked about an amber ale that I added coffee to. I, I didn't plan to add coffee to an amber ale, but I brewed this amber ale. It was supposed to be, you know, malty and bitter and there was just something wonky about it and said all right you know what would be great with an amber ale coffee added coffee to it it masked what that off flavor was and created something really new and interesting that i i ended up really liking um so that's sort of in your on your tool belt of things to think about when because oftentimes the go-to with fixing a beer is adding brett or something to sour a beer because it's like it's already fucked up just sour it see what happens but you know think about these ingredients that you can also work into a beer style to try to save it when things have come up that are a little funky and coffee is one of those things even with a beer style that's not typical because of some of the things we talked about uh to begin with 
it could work and it could be a fun experiment. You know, uh, Sean Dooley, um, who's has Sean been on our show yet? He's not. We got to get his okay. ass on here. Yeah, seriously. Uh, so Sean, um, uh, in addition to be a cider uh, guru, is also um, uh, kind of a coffee head. And so when I was uh, my most recent whiskey coffee porter, I was talking to Sean about what beans to pick. And like I said, I don't drink coffee, so I I don't freaking know. I just know roasts and. You know, espresso is is what goes in a caramel macchiato, which had the most you know sugar in it when I was in college. That's usually what I would get. But anyway, so Sean was telling me that you know bean selection is also important. Where beans come from and their roast, and you can end up with uh, um, beans that have uh, flavor profiles that are not appropriate for beer, and then flavor profiles that can be very appropriate, very complimentary to beer. So, you know, when I was picking my uh, coffee, I'm standing at Wegmans taking photos, sending them to Sean, like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And it was, you know, trying to find one that had, you know, more chocolate notes, more um, kind of roasty notes, those sorts of things versus some of those spicier, fruity, tropical notes that maybe would work in um, like uh, IPA, I think that's uh, one of the um, examples that Scott Janish uses on his page. Um, but then there are some that have like stone fruit notes um, that have uh, maybe that would work well with like a Belgian beer. So really paying attention to the coffee itself, the roast itself, where the coffee comes from, doing a little bit of that research and not just going into a grocery store and grabbing, you know, whatever. Uh, English, um, you know, motor oil, uh, right off the shelf, you know, style coffee or um, guys that I hang out with would call it a Master Chief coffee, um, you know, in the Navy. Uh, you don't probably want to use that stuff. Right? Uh, it's yeah. such a valid point. Like I was talking about my buddy from Blue Bottle a little while ago. His name's uh, Chris Strickland. And, uh, you know, he's introduced me through Blue Bottle uh, to all these different coffees. And I'll tell you, like, listen, in the Northeast, it's been like, it's Dunkin' Donuts dominated, which is like the mildest, <laughs> like no flavor coffee out there, right? It's like Not literally coffee. coffee that doesn't taste like coffee. It's right? coffee. Yeah. Um, and then like, remember Starbucks was like a real big deal when it came out. But so like with Blue Bottle, they've got all these coffees from these different, parts of the world and he's introduced me to coffees that like have those citrus characters have stone fruit characters but also like funky characters like you'll Mm. drink a coffee that has like funk to it and it's just so interesting how uh you know where it's grown how it's processed how it's roasted impacts the flavor profile that you get out of it so that's such a good point because uh you know you can go to a grocery store and you can look at all of these different coffees that are out there but doing a little bit of research to say, like, what is this really going to produce when I'm cold brewing it or adding it directly to my my beer? Because it's going to make a big difference and you want to pair up those flavors with the beer that you're brewing. Yeah, yes. I, 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 I was going to say, you, you could also you know, take that a step further. And there, there's probably a coffee roasting place near you somewhere we have i got one not too far from my house is uh right in acton uh there's a a place right i've been drinking uh a bunch of coffee lately 
in uh, out of Amesbury, Massachusetts. They roast it locally there too, and you know you get nice, fresh. You know, so I like I like to cook. I like uh, ingredients to me are are king, and uh, so just like anything else, I'm gonna make for dinner. I'm looking for coffees and, and any kind of anything I'm consuming to be fresh. I, it's locally sourced ish. So, you know, you can uh, go that route, too. You'll probably find there's a lot of interesting stuff that way. And you're going to great. You know, you have great flavors out of it as well. So, um, uh, Tim, did you just say like the local place near you in Amesbury, Massachusetts? <laughs> that's like 45 <laughs> minutes away from well, where you live. It's 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 better than Starbucks. Right. Well, hold on a second. All right. All right listen, wherever. you could have so picked that's local. You could have picked Brood Awakening in Lowell, Massachusetts, well, even like, which is uh, way closer. What is it? Rosie's Coffee in downtown Lowell. They uh, roast right on site. Yeah, Brood Awakening is is right there too. Or what's the? Is it the Union Coffee? What's the What's the one in Air? Like, have you had the coffee shop in Air, Mass? Which is literally five minutes from where we live. All right. No, I haven't. Um, well, Union Coffee Roaster. That's what right, the Union local. Coffee Sorry, Roaster. It's on Main Street right. in Air. It's yeah. near us. I that their coffee is Dude, I didn't know that. legit. I'm there. I'm going tomorrow. Perfect. Well, uh, another reason I think you should probably choose somewhere local is freshness. Um, that's that's yeah, kind of a, great point. A, big, a really big uh, part of making these coffee beers is using super fresh beans. Not one thing to worry about, though, is don't use something that's been roasted that day or the next day. Um, coffee, after it's been roasted, uh, off-gasses nitrogen. Uh, so it does need a few days to off-gas before you can use it in a beer. Um, so I think it's generally between the four and 10 day uh, period is when it's supposed to have its peak aroma to be used in a beer. Like say, if you're going to throw it in dry beaning or make some cold brew with it. Joe, you, you sound like my buddy, Chris. I, I, I'm, I'm almost regretting not inviting him to this episode because he's like the coffee maestro and listening to you talk about that and freshness and, and, um, how much of a difference that makes. Like I've had conversations with this guy and like literally he pre he's like, he is the equivalent to coffee is what we are to home brewing. Like he takes it so seriously and just hearing him talk about it. Like he would have, he would have been a great um, add to this show. We should, we should have thought of that but next time. Next yeah. time we talk coffee, we'll bring his yeah. ass on here. Definitely. So although it may not be as cost effective to go to these small local roasters versus, you know, you, you see a bag of coffee in the supermarket and, you know, it's on sale or, you know, it's Starbucks or uh, you have no idea when that coffee was roasted. Um, it could be, you know, a couple months old at that point, And that's going to actually end up leading to that green uh, coffee flavor as well. So right. even though um, it, it might not be hot coffee, you made cold brew with it or you're dry beating with it. Uh, it could be a couple months old, and now you're going to end up with that old, that green uh, pepper flavor in a beer. So uh, it's really trying to, what do you want your end product to be? Uh, spend a little bit of money on the fresh stuff um, okay. and make sure you're using a high-quality product, and you're going to have high-quality beer. Totally. And, and listen, like we are. Seriously. Yeah. And, and listen, we are uh, small-scale home brewers. Most of us are small-scale home brewers. Uh, you at this point in homebrewing should not be trying to find the cheapest shit available. Like yeah. uh, spend the extra couple of dollars and get good ingredients. You're not a large scale business trying to 
make a cost-effective beer so that you can make money. This is for you to brew at home uh, and make a good product. Spend the extra couple dollars. Don't cheat yourself. It makes a huge difference. You look at you look at some of our brewing systems where there's literally thousands of dollars worth of stainless and electronics involved, and then you know you on Shoot a on, on a whim you will go and drop forty five dollars on a pound of Galaxy, yet you'll cheap out on a bag of coffee. I mean, you know where this uh, happens the most is honey. Yeah, I see guys do this yeah. all the fucking time with honey. It's like, hey, I bought this bulk garbage honey for like eight dollars and it's like guys like you're <laughs> like seriously like you to your point you've gone through all this effort to buy this state-of-the-art equipment and get all these great hops and then you're gonna shit on your beer that you're making by getting this garbage honey that who knows where it came at Alrighty, guys uh that was a great conversation on coffee we'll probably uh regroup on this in a in a future episode um for those of you out there uh at least for me and i think uh, joe mentioned it already scott janish uh who is known more for his hops and ipa uh books and blogs but he's got a great guide to coffee beer out on um the internet so uh go check out his blog that's a reference i i'm always going back and checking on uh we you know don't get any money from scott but scott if you're listening uh join us on the show anyway let's uh jump over do a uh beer judging with the doc and uh we'll regroup with uh joe and tim here shortly If you like what you've been hearing on our show, hit that subscribe or follow button on your podcast service. And if you have any ideas or feedback for us, leave us a review or shoot us a DM on Instagram at StrikeMashBoil. Or join the conversation in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash MVHBC. Time for this week's beer review. Each week, we're going to review a beer submitted to us by a member of the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club or from one of our listeners. Our judge is going to walk through the judging process as if this were a homebrew competition, and all they know is the category of the beer, which this week is 15A Irish Red. And our judge this week, again, is Nick. Welcome back, Nick. Good to be here. So Irish Red, tell us about it. Yeah, this is a really interesting style. It's not as popular now than it was back in the day. I think this is one of those styles where if you open a brew pub back in the late 90s, this would be one of your four core beers. Uh, this is just a real classic beer that you'd always have on tap. It's sort of the quintessential red ale. Uh, if you want a beer that's that's red in color, uh, Irish red is, is sort of the way to go. And Believe it or not, it can be challenging to sort of get that red color. Oftentimes, it's more amber than red. The trick is just a little bit of, of, of roasted malt, like less than 1% of the bill. That's where you kind of get the red from. There's other ways, but that's generally the best way to do it. And that little bit of uh, uh, roasted malt will also kind of create this um, slight dryness in the finish of this beer, uh, which is sort of a hallmark of it. So the beer itself is all about balance. You want the balance between the hops and the malt. Um, that's really critical of this beer and you know most kind of English, Irish, Scottish type beers. You want that balance. And again, Irish Red Ale, all about the balance. So right away, we have this beer in front of us. It is a really pretty, more amber than red, but there's some red tints to it. Uh, fairly clear. It's a really good looking beer. Uh, nice lacing, uh, a nice head on it. 
The smell itself. So with any kind of English beer, you are allowed to have a little bit of diacetyl. Well, I think uh, the Irish might take a little offense to that. Call it an, an English beer. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. But the brewing techniques in British Isle beer. Sure. UK? No, it's not UK. No, right? it's not UK either. Although is Irish red Northern Irish Ireland or is it I think Ireland? It's Ireland. Is it Ireland? Ireland. I think it's Ireland. Okay. Sorry. Sorry, my Ireland uh, brethren. Uh, I mean, technically, it's an adaptation of an English bitter, technically. Any kind of beer in this type of style is it's an English beer. I mean, they're using... Uh, let's just go with it. Sure. All right. Uh, <laughs> so, the beer... I don't, know who, wait, I don't know who would be more offended. The Irish having it called English or the English being associated with the Irish? The Irish. The Irish calling it English. The Irish yeah. would be definitely more oh, offended. Yeah, for sure. English don't give a shit. Well, I don't know. Phil seems kind of offended over there, and he's like Mr. English beer guy, so... I'm both Irish and English. I can be offended by both. All right. Got it. <laughs> so, as, as I mentioned, the beer itself with any kind of these style of beers, uh, and I, I use quotation mm-hmm. marks here you're allowed to have a little bit of diacetyl and that just comes from the yeast, uh, the sort of the English yeast strains, the UK yeast strains, whatever you want to call them. Remind people what diacetyl is. Yeah. So diacetyl is a kind of a buttered popcorn. Um, and you can get it either in the nose, uh, on the palate, it'll be kind of slick tasting. Um, if once you can recognize it, it's really easy to recognize it. It really kind of pops out. Uh, believe it or not, there are many people who are just not able to d- detect it. And so if you can't detect it, don't feel bad. Phil's um, raising his hand. Yeah, it's a, it's a genetic thing. So don't, it's like a cilantro tasting like soap. It's, it's totally genetic. Um, so this beer, I, I mentioned diacetyl because there's a lot of diacetyl in this beer and too much for the style. Again, a little bit is fine, appropriate. It can actually add a little bit to the style itself. But uh, for this particular beer, it's just, it's, it's way too much, way too much diacetyl. I mean, it literally smells like butter popcorn to me. Getting past that, I get a little bit of that, that toasty caramel malt. But, um, you know, again, the, uh, the, 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 that diacetyl is pretty strong. Hop aroma is usually really low in the style. And again, I, I don't get any hop aroma. The taste itself. Well, and, and <clears throat> the uh, production of diacetyl is, can be avoided. Uh, it's through fermentation techniques, essentially. So yep. you, you want to, with ale yeast, you want to be fermenting in the high 60s, but you want to do what's called a diacetyl rest, which is raising the temperature uh, after, after uh, high Krausen to low 70s for a few days to help clean up some of those off flavors. Correct. Uh, but sometimes if you have really poor yeast health, it's still going to pour off diacetyl and there's really no way of getting rid of it. Um, another cause of diacetyl is infection, of course. Um, so that's something you also have to kind of think about. So the taste itself, again, it's just, it's just straight butter popcorn. Uh, it's, it's really hard to get past. It's really kind of all I taste. I don't think it's infected. I will say that. Um, besides the diacetyl, it's a pretty clean beer. I think it's, it's well brewed. I think the issue for this beer is probably just yeast health. Uh, whether it was they didn't use a starter, they pitched too low uh, a yeast, um, maybe they fermented it at strange temperatures. I mean, it could be a number of different things. It could be a nutrient issue. Um, and you, know, you say diacetyl, and <clears throat> we've already said I don't. I I need a very high threshold to get it. Mm-hmm. So I don't get any of it. What I get is like a fruit stripe gum or a bubble gum flavor out hmm. of it. Um, I definitely get some of that, but. It's more like that initial wafting that I get from mm. it is a bit of that bubble gum, but it goes immediately into like movie theater, butter, popcorn. And if you think you detect it and you're not sure, the best thing you do is put it in the microwave for about 10 seconds. That's going to really push out all that diacetyl, and that will really make it clear whether or not it's in there or not. That's sort of a, a nice little trick you can do to see if your beer has diacetyl. 
So, yeah, so uh, besides that, as I said, I think it's a well-brewed beer. Uh, there, there's a nice balance of the bitterness uh, in the malt. You do kind of get that dryness in the finish from that from that roasted barley that I'm, I'm presuming is in here. Uh, again, because of the diacetyl, it's, it's pretty slick on the palate. Um, probably a little bit too too slick than what you want for this style. But overall, it's it's pretty well balanced. I think the issue is it, 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 to me, it just it screams a, a yeast issue. Um, but it, it is it is a big issue that needs to be addressed for this beer. So overall, um, I would give this beer probably a, uh, a twenty six for me, which it's a good beer. It misses the mark on the style and or minor flaws in this case. Um, uh, it's it's a it's a I say minor flaw, but I should kind of say when we do scoring for the BJCP, even though the score goes technically zero to 50, um, when you're, when you're judging competition, you're generally not going below 17 points. It's just something we do because judging is more about education than, you know, just hammering people who produce or submit bad beers. Um, so 26 may not sound that bad because it says good on the scoring guide, but when you in relatively it's it's not that great yeah and, and it, it's worth yeah. noting like if you are brew, if you brew a beer that has diacetyl issues it's not that difficult to correct in the future so you shouldn't be you know feeling really bad about the beer you produced it's you know having somebody like a nick taste your beer judging it and really picking up on those um under qualities getting past the diacetyl some of us like us rookie judges that really get fixated on things like diacetyl that's why we when we have our competitions we have real judges do this because they can pick up on the nuance and really dissect a beer beyond the flaws and turns out the beer is pretty well brewed it's pretty well balanced it has this one obvious characteristic that's throwing it off and you shouldn't feel bad because a little bit of research will show you that a diacetyl fix is is not that difficult yeah i mean i'll just i'll say it again i think it's it is well brewed i think it's a good recipe i would say brew it again and just concentrate on making sure you're pitching enough yeast uh, maybe even changing up the yeast strain you know try something else maybe you just had bad luck with that one uh, there are plenty of uh, english yeast strains um, I know Rick sitting across from me, he loves uh, uh, SO4, which is a, a great English yeast strain. Give that one a try. Known for diacetyl, though. That one, like those English yeast strains give yeah. you tons well, of right. diacetyl. Yeah, they, yeah. they all do. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And again, if you want to eliminate some of that, we always do a diacetyl rest. So, you know, w- whether we're fermenting in the low to mid 60s, we always bring it up for a day or two at the 68 to 70 degrees and kind of. Hopefully that cleans it out. So, and it's good practice to do it with. I mean, even when you're lagering beers, you do a diacetyl rest. So, um, you know, for most yeast, I mean, the exceptions are going to be the Belgian strains and the Kvike strains. So those are the ones that are really going to be different, right? All right. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. You've heard us talk about them on our podcast, our local homebrew stores offering the listeners of Strike Mash Boil an awesome deal on their first order online or in person. Beer Wine Hobby at 87 Andover Street in Danvers, Massachusetts is our go-to homebrew store. They have everything you need to brew a batch of beer, wine, or cider. They have more than 100 fresh grains, all the classic and new world hop varieties in a variety of sizes, and yeast from White Labs, Y Yeast, Imperial, and Omega. So for listeners of Strike Mash Boil, use promo code MVPOD to get 10% off your first order. Go to beer-wine.com to get started. That's MVPOD. Uh, Welcome back. Uh, That was a great judging segment with the doc. 
uh, and Rick. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, so uh, Joe and uh, Tim are with us again, and we are here for a segment of Hop It To Me. Uh, last time we did a segment of Hop It To Me was last season, and we did a three-part series on New England Pale Ales. But today we're going to do a little bit of a a deep dive conversation into hop extracts and hop oils. And, and obviously this could be a conversation that could go on for many, many hours and their entire uh, blog posts and scientific papers. And uh, there are even other podcasts that have done entire series on it. If you're very interested in this stuff, uh, the hop and brew school on the brewing network is fantastic for that. Um, Beersmith has had some, uh, but let's talk a little bit just us. Um, so hop oils and hop extracts. And I think the one that most people are aware of is going to be the hop shot. That's the easy one. It's a syrup you add in to your boil to uh, get some IBUs. So, Joe, you've used uh, hop shots before, I believe, right? Yeah, I've I've never bought the shots individually. I bought like a you know, 200 gram can of it. I think you can get it from either Yakima Chief or Yakima Valley. Um, they sell you a can of it. And you, um, you just basically get it up to like a warmer temperature, temper it. Um, and you can use that as your, uh, bittering hop charge. I, I found it was great. Um, it really, uh, allowed you to just maximize a beer say say something like an imperial stout that you you're not really focusing on um what hot flavor is going to be in that beer you you know say you're making an adjunct imperial stout with coffee you, you, there's no need to mess up your kettle with all these hop additions when you can just get a full product over to your uh, fermenter so it worked out so yeah. you were just going for bitterness bitterness there joe right yeah it's, versus I'm, anything I'm else right, for which is what i think the hop shot is all about Right, not looking for floral notes from it. I just want to add that that hot bittering charge. What was what was that Jack's Abbey beer? Jack's Abbey did a beer where they exclusively used hop oils on it, and they it was an experiment, and they were trying to just show what hop oils would do. And I guess hop oils at that I mean, man, this is like seven, eight years ago, um, and so they were just trying. Oh, what the hell? I can't remember the name of it, but they. We're trying to show like what the effect that hop oils would have on beers. And the beer ended up being just like a total like bitter bomb at that point. Right. Um, because and, and so what we've learned over time is hop shots, which I've used hop shots a bunch of times. Uh, the, the most effective use of them has been in bitterness. Totally. And they are, you have to put them in boiling wort. You cannot oh, use totally. them on oh, the cold yeah. side. You can't even yeah, use them on a, in a whirlpool, really. And, you know, if you go and buy a, a kit of like a, a Pliny clone, most of them, if not all of them, come with hop shots to get you that, you know, 100 IBU plus uh, bitterness without having, you know, you add half a pound of magnum into your boil. Um so that's kind of the the main one most folks see is that uh, hop shot the the um, you know I, alpha isomerized. Hopefully, I'm saying all that right, and somebody's not going to come and give me shit in a um, after the fact. But the isomerized uh, alpha acids uh, that give you the bitterness. Uh, all right, so there's that one. That one's easy, pretty straightforward. Hop oils, uh, cold side stuff, all kinds of new things out there now. Um, and really, a lot of this is not really available at the homebrew level, I don't think, anymore. Or yet. Sorry, not anymore. Yet. 
Um, you can't get some oils from like Morbier. I saw some stuff from El Dorado or uh, an El Dorado oil. But, um, you know, these oils are fascinating, right? I mean, you're talking about being able to use something that can get you all the benefits of using of having hops in your beer without any of the vegetal material at all, which depending on the kind of IPAs you're brewing is really spectacular. Uh, right. I mean, you think about, um, you brew a 10 gallon batch of beer, let's say like I do 10 gallon yield into a, into my kegs, but I want to do 12 gallons into my fermenter, if not more, because I know I'm going to add a pound, pound and a half of hops and it's going to suck up all that, uh, all that liquid and I'm going to have a ton of loss. So, you know, being able to switch to an oil would be pretty rad, right? I mean, yeah, you know right. what, the, Phil? the allure, the allure of these hot products are maximizing your end volume of beer that you're going to be pushing into kegs or bottles. Um, you know, the fact that they have no vegetal uh, matter soaking up your uh, delicious beer is, is a great thing for these beers. Um, you know, think about if you're adding in either like a dry hop charge and it, say like a five gallon batch, eight ounces, you might be losing a quarter to, you know, half a gallon of beer. Uh, you know, you might end up with four and a half gallons and, you know, you look at your keg and you, you kind of want to cry a little bit because you see how much was left behind in your fermenter. Um, so yeah, I think these, these hop oils, if you can maximize aroma without um, reducing your volume of beer, uh, and the end product is, is a win-win for, uh, for, for brewers and home brewers, especially yeah, I think home brewers. Even, even more to the point though, I mean, you're going to, you will lose some, some volume in the, uh, in the beer, but dry hopping overall is just such a inefficient extraction process of those oils, right? So I, I, I think that's really where the, the hop oils come into play. Is, is being able to uh, maximize what you would want to be extracting out of the, the dry hopping that you're doing um, with with oils. You know, they're, they're already doing the extraction ahead of time and then adding it afterwards. So you're you're really getting and, and very specifically what you want, what you're looking for uh, out of those hops versus. Uh, you know, throwing a bunch of pellets in, in, into your brew, so it, it kind of it's twofold. Definitely, you're gonna get um, you know uh, more more yield out of your beer, but I think really the the bigger point is being able to get uh, uh, get what you want out of that that dry hopping process more efficiently. Yeah, and I you mean, know, you're uh, also so I, I I obviously have I mean not obviously, but I have a different perspective uh, than what is being uh, relayed uh, to the group right now. And um, so I, I totally understand the uh, perspective of like, I, I increase volume, right? If I'm uh, not adding a bunch of vegetal matter, I'm going to get more beer out of it. Uh, but on the flip side of that is the um, processing that happens to, to your beer that may or may not be okay. Um, you know, when you talk about these hop extracts uh, and the oils, uh, there are processes that they go through that, um, you know, may introduce things that you may not want in your beer that aren't organic matter. Uh, things like solvents and um, other chemicals that are used to extract the oils from Which, the hops. 
They're which primarily we're not saying, just going to be ethylene and, and a propylene glycol. Those are the primary two that are used. That's right. Uh, or the benzenite one, uh, too, also. Benzene? Benzene, yeah. Um, but uh, but those are things that you may not want in your beer. And, it, and I, I do I find it interesting. I, I said it to you guys uh, before we started recording that, you know, the um, – you know, food world in general is going to a going in a direction where it's all about localization and more organic and uh, getting uh, away from GMOs and processed foods. And uh, this seems to be a, a you know, beer is, seems to be going in a slightly different direction in pursuit of getting that most the most hop aroma, the most hop flavor, the most hop uh, character in your beer. And it makes me feel a little bit uneasy. Uh, that we're going through these measures just to get those characters and beers, where at at what expense? And um, uh, so, like I, I view it a little bit more of uh, what we were doing does work well. We're still able to get really great hop aromas and hop characters out of beer by using organic matter. That if we're losing a small amount because of absorption. Uh, it's it's a sacrifice to be made to keep things um, in a uh, uh, in, in, in an environment that is uh, more, more healthy and less processed. Because craft beer, I think, in my opinion, uh, is predicated on using good ingredients, fresh ingredients, or not necessarily organic ingredients, but using fresh ingredients to make things taste better. Uh, just like cooking would be, so I don't view it a lot. Di- I don't view it very much differently. Uh, so the idea that we're starting to introduce these processed ingredients and a not super regulated industry of processed ingredients that we don't know really what's happening to create these extracts and create the oils that people are using, uh, that we really don't know what we're consuming. Uh, to be able to uh, just to achieve a certain flavor profile, it sounds like a pretty slippery, uh, pretty slippery slope that happened back in the '80s and '90s when the food industry really started to go down that path. And you guys have heard me share. I, I do sound like a bit of a beer purist. I, I'm, I'm okay with that uh, at this point. Uh, but we we see that breweries are adding things like fruity pebbles to beers and marshmallows <laughs> to beers and all these like fake ingredients to beers right now. Uh, at, in the pursuit of that certain flavor profile, certain character, that I see people cutting corners uh, just to hit that, you know, perceived flavor profile that it's turning into a slippery slope for me. That I think that if we just stuck to the basics and stuck to the things that we know that have worked for generations and just kept rolling with that, that it would be okay. You know, I mean, I hear what you're saying, Marco, and to a certain extent, I agree with you. Um, but also, I think there are, um, you know, we're only accessing a small percentage of the capability of the hop, let's say, uh, in brewing process um, as it stands today. And so, using other techniques like uh, CO2 extraction or um, distillation or uh, ethanol extraction or I guess maybe propylene glycol, but we'll forget about that one for a minute. But being able to use those other techniques to extract 
other compounds within the hops that we don't have any ability to get into. And, and one of the prime examples is probably myrcene, which is a... Um, Super it's volatile. A, it's an extremely volatile uh, monoterpene. It's a spicy herbal flavor. Um, and it's one of the ones that, I mean, the standard brewing process, whether you're at a production brewery or a home brewery, you're cooking it off completely. It, it does not exist to you. Um, or it's locked deep into the hop and you have no way of extracting it uh, in a standard process. And they're able to pull out um, those hydrocarbons like myrcene um, and uh, carophylline. Ho- the doc, thank God, he is not here to, to ridicule me for me. For <laughs> yeah, my, seriously. Uh, you said it wrong. You said it wrong, yeah. Uh, but you know we're we're now being able to pull those out by using these other techniques, and it's completely soluble back into the beer if you use these extracts. Um, and so we're able to gain access to parts of the hop that we've never been able to use before. And so that's opening other doors and being able to use hops that maybe are high in some of these. Um, uh, monoterpenes and whatever else, uh, like say a centennial or a cascade or, um, you know, hops that maybe would be a little more throwaway, right? They're, they're cheap hops. They, they're not useful for anything, um, to what we normally do. Um, you know, it's what cascade, it's a standard issue American IPA hop, right? Well, what if you can use, um, some of those other, compounds that are buried down in the hop and you can get big new england ipa flavors out of it see but right? you, what, what you're cheap. saying what you're saying to me yeah sounds no different to me sounds no different than the companies that were adding pink slime to uh hamburg meats to uh increase volume and bring out uh flavors that they were trying to achieve in that product right it doesn't sound any different because uh in what they did is they they sought out process and they sought out uh technique that was able to achieve a specific profile they were going for it doesn't sound any different it sounds like an overprocessed product to and, and we're just presenting it in a way that is uh, appealing to the hop heads that are out there or the people that are achieving or are looking to achieve maximized hop profile in a beer. And I get that you want to do that. But in my from my perspective and in, in my opinion is that it's at what expense and that at the expense of us over processing and, um, you know, at the risk of us uh, creating a product that is not recognizable as a traditionally brewed beer. You guys know. We're talking like maybe 10 grams per hectoliter is one of the descriptions here. Such a small amount, Marco. I'm trying to think of what Uh, a hectoliter even is. uh, Listen, I don't don't disagree with that. Yes, it's a tiny amount. And in the grand scheme of all of the meat that McDonald's is uh, producing, that pink slime that they were using in that stuff was probably a small amount. Probably a small amount. No, that was... uh, it's a small portion. It's freaking hop oil, man. Well, I mean, yeah, you're talking. Listen, like I, I think a this is drops. a. I, I, the the uh, 
premise that I'm trying to portray is this seems to me like a slippery slope. It seems like the beginning of a justification of uh, processing and over-processing beer over time. And yes, it might not be the equivalent. I'm, I'm, I may be using extreme analogies today to make my point, which all right. I, who, all right. I'm so known to do. Okay, so how about all the people that are making beer right now with malt extracts? And I was going to say, Marco, when was the last time you used only under <clears throat> modified malts? Oh, I mean, uh, probably not. But again, this is you're, you're you're compounding the problem, though, right? So, like, we've got these uh, modified malts that we're using today. Now we have hop oils. Now we have hop extracts. Now we have incognito hop flavor that we don't even know what that is. Like, we've got all of these things that we compound that beer becomes unrecognizable. I understand that there are um, uh, necessary changes that have needed to happen, like. Pilsner being a great example, we have modified Pilsner malt today that allows us to boil a, a wart at 60 minutes versus 90 minutes because we don't have to worry about, uh, you know, DMS and all the issues that come with Pilsner malt if it's not modified the way that it is today. That is a benefit. I get it. But at what point does it cross a line where it becomes too much and and that's that's all that i'm i'm saying is that we're in this slippery slope of everything continuously becomes more processed and more processed that un, uh, at, at some point it becomes unrecognizable my, my opinion on this is i think we know beer is not is, is unhealthy in in general it's 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 not no, no, no hold on a second i, I don't know well, i would what, not what agree i don't day. agree with that i don't know i do not agree with that statement uh, because so, anything in moderation is fine. Uh, right. It's when so, it's when you abuse it that it's so, not okay. So that's that's where I'm getting at. Everything in moderation. These these hop extracts or hop flavors. I mean, use it in moderation. I think there, I don't think there's. Uh, you're coming at a product that is generally unhealthy uh, for the population, <laughs> uh, but we're we're gonna have these beer in, in moderation. I think using these products in moderation as well. If, if, if we have a brewery that comes out and every single one of their beer is using just a hop uh, flavor that's been extracted from a hop and, and never even puts their hands on, you know, hops at all. I think that's when it becomes a problem. You don't uh, see that happening. No, but it has happened. It could. I mean, and, and it it's definitely bogus could and they, they recognize it as bogus. It's, it's not good beer <clears throat> afterwards. So I don't think anybody's advocating using this exclusively as the way to go, but it's a way to augment, you know, a, a dry hopping process. And so you may do some dry hop and, and some, uh, and some hop oil, but it's, uh, I don't think anybody's advocating. Let's like go all, all oil. Uh, I, I think it's, it it. but I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like we, we saw this in the eighties at that point, which is what Janish has, has mentioned as well. But we saw this in the 80s and the 90s in the food industry um, with uh, polyunsaturated fats, monounsaturated fats, uh, the use of all of the different oils uh, that were uh, prevalent in the 80s and 90s that we have since banned in, in most of the United States. And a lot of that was these were processes that were used to create food that people wanted and granted it was fast food and we know today that that sh stuff was garbage 
but then was being uh, touted as the best thing uh, on the planet to produce these foods to get to either uh, low-income families or affordable food uh, for people to, to be able to have. And it turns out it was a terrible idea. Again, this is the whole slippery slope thing that I'm talking about is where does that yeah. line sort of draw? Like it starts somewhere where there's this idea and it seems like a really good idea. And then it gets overdone and overdone. And it's um, I said this to you guys offline before we uh, were recording is my biggest issue really is not the use of these things is that it's an unregulated use. Uh, These things that are being created for the beer industry are generally not strictly regulated. They might be some. There's FDA regulations and how all this has Uh, to work. So are you, are you against malt extract too? Well, uh, we'd all agree that malt extract doesn't produce as good of a beer as a regular Grain people win beer. medals with. I know, uh, I'm not saying that they don't beers. wear medals. I'm not saying that they don't win medals, but um, we've all experienced beers that are extract beers and beers that are all grain beers, and we prefer the beers that we brew as all grain beers. And I'm not so, saying that that's it's a one to one correlation, but it's just a you know I, I think that in the case of hop oils, it's a uh, a way to actually extract all the things that you really want out of those hops, the, those uh, compounds of the hops that you're just unable to really, really you just can't. Uh, here's a, a here's a, a home brewer and or any brewer on on like a dry hopping side, you, you can't get it what you want out of it efficiently. Here's right, the same thing about a Twinkie yeah. or Doritos. Or Doritos, right? You can't get all those things without all that processed shit to get. Like, listen. But that's not. Uh, that's no, not, no, listen. Doritos are. Close to the same. Doritos are delicious. Like, listen, Cool Ranch Doritos might be the greatest thing ever made. Right. But that shit is not natural. <laughs> it's like literally what it what is. What I think the hop oils are. We're going to eat it. You know, you're, you're not making stuff up. You're just extracting out of it what was already in there. Well, that's what they're doing with Doritos, right? They're extracting all that stuff, but they're man-making it to turn it into some sort of cool ranch Doritos. Uh, The way I think about it is if if you want, like, beers that are made with locally sourced, like, organic ingredients, yeah, go go search out those breweries then. That's great. Like okay, nobody's, nobody's but forcing if, you. if you're looking for like over the top flavor and that's you're, you're probably not going to get it from these places. No, but yeah. that's the that's the part that I find interesting in this whole thing is outside of the beer industry. Uh, so, um, you know, you you see everyday people talking about localization. You see people talking about organic ingredients. You see people talking about non GMO. Right. Like literally it's the opposite of what we're talking about. Like, yeah, but your right. your local ingredients, if you want to use Galaxy in your beer and you're only concerned about local ingredients, you better move to Auckland. Right? You can't use Galaxy if you want to local Galaxy ingredients. is grown in Massachusetts. It's probably not, not good Galaxy. Not good <laughs> but it doesn't matter. No, no, but it's still Citra, Galaxy grown in Massachusetts. It's Citra's still Galaxy grown, grown in, in Massachusetts. Citra is only grown on the West Coast. Right? So... You know, but the point that I'm making is it's not processed. It's not. 
Right. So, I think, Marco, your every Anheuser Busch beer uses hop extracts. Every course. Miller Coors beer, every uh, Coors Light, Miller Light, all of them are using hop extracts. Yeah, let me tell you and how many of them been, I have stocked in my fridge right now. <laughs> and they have been for thirty years. CO two based extract is nothing new in the beer industry. Right, we understand that. I think that this comes down to this uh, reason well, why there are no calorie or nutrition information on a beer can label because people don't care. And I but think that, all right, now that, now we know that. We, we've accepted that this is not healthy for us. All right, that, that's so a good I point. I, I don't agree that I, that beer is not healthy for you. I don't agree with that because I think that beer actually can be relatively right. healthy for it, you. It, I think yeah, there is a lot of health benefits it's from, from beer. Yeah. <laughs> one, they um, say one beer a day. Is, is, no, no, is I, not, not even that. I mean, uh, historically, there have been um, generations of uh, monks that have gone on a strict beer-only diet and have had, you know, health have not had any health issues by only like not eating any solid foods, only drinking beer uh, and getting all of the nutrition that they needed Wait from a that. Second. Like what? That's a true thing. No, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not even kidding. I'm not joking. That is a real thing that there are. So are you advocating this? Is this something I should try? Um, actually, um, uh, was it uh, two years ago, three years or two or three years ago, there was a guy uh, it that good. Yep, I remember this. <laughs> yeah, there was a guy that for um, Lent, he decided <laughs> oh, to take on a uh, for 40 days. He took on what was a traditional um, uh, brewery monk diet, which was drinking strictly beer, beer every day. Only beer. Breakfast, lunch and dinner was only beer. But was he only drinking Potter's beer? Because that would be a true. Well, I don't diet. I don't know about that. He worked at a brewery, so he had access to beer. Uh, but he drank beer, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and lost something like sixty pounds, which no was, doubt. which um, is no know. doubt. But was totally healthy. Um, hmm. Had regular bowel movements. Everything was normal. Uh, he that's had all the nutrition that he needed so. for forty days. Um, but anyway, so that's yeah. like totally off the rails on, on this topic. Of. I don't know that right. beer is as unhealthy as people um, think that it is. So as we've been having this conversation, I've been reading uh, a a blog post from everybody's favorite IPA researcher, Scott Janish, um, who we probably name drop way too much on this show. Um, You know, and and one of the comments he makes in here is that uh, hop oils aren't, shouldn't be used as hop oils only. They need to be used in, in combination with traditional T90 dry hop pellets, or I mean pellets in a dry hop, or cryo pellets in a dry hop in a whirlpool, um, the it's just a tool in the toolbox to increase the the uh, flavor and aroma of your beer, to increase your hop oils, your um, your uh, generals and your mercines and your uh, beta cryophilines and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the things that he comments on though, is that uh, hop oils can extend the shelf life of the beer because it is taking, um, it is reducing the amount of some of the staling compounds that are found in the vegetal material of hops. So you can increase the shelf life of your beer. If you do reduce the amount of 
hop pellets and replace it with some of these oils. It sounds like um, you're adding preservatives. I, it's not a I preservative. I listen. So, like, you spin, so, it well, spin it however you want. Preservative. Spin it however you want. If you're on a strictly beer diet, you're, you're though, just, so if you've ever that. sorbated a wine, you've added a preservative to your wine. <laughs> yes, I have. Right? Yeah. And so this the, is not the same thing. This is just removing a compound that's found in the vegetal material of hops naturally, and just replacing it with the only the oils you're interested in. Right, so there's say 500 compounds in the vegetal material, and you only want 100. Why the hell are you using the other 400? Yeah, I think Marco, you're you're a little uh, over the top on this because this is, and this is the way I interpret this as well from what I've read and listened to on on simple podcasts where uh, Scott was uh, talking about this, and it's. It's it's a, a small percentage of what you're doing with it. It's not the entire. You don't want to replace all the hops, natural hops, entirely. It's a a, a, a little extra dose of, of hop oil to kind of give it that extra tweak. But you're doing everything most of the way you're you're, you're brewing um, the way we ha- we have been so far. But these are a, a slight. Uh, adjunct to that and it's not you wouldn't you would never in fact he even specifically talked about somebody a couple of experiments where people just did extracts and oils and things and it it tastes too weird and too fake and and artificial and stuff and you don't want that obviously so that's not what it's all about i think it's such a small percentage of the overall beer that it's, it's not a big deal I mean, Tim, I I agree with you. Yes, I am being over the top. But it's specifically because I worry about... I I just have this um, uh, paranoia on the industry, in any industry, that it doesn't stop where it is today. If it stopped where it was today, I'd feel very comfortable. But unfortunately, I think that we continue to push the boundaries and we continue to over-process things. And that it eventually gets to a point where it's not acceptable. I don't. I agree with you that I don't think where it stands today is bad. I'm presenting it in a way that it, it comes off that way. But it's not really how I feel. Uh, I'm worried that it just keeps going to a point where we we saw like again. I, I said this a second ago um, or a little while ago. Uh, we saw this in the 80s and the 90s in the United States where processed foods became mainstream because they found effective, efficient ways to create foods that were cheap, easy, and hit all those flavor profiles that the American public was looking for. That is what I worry about happening to an industry that I'm very fond of. And so um, me creating these red flags and putting up these uh, flares that say look out watch out for this is be based on that that i'm worried it's going to happen to our industry and people aren't paying attention to it as much as they are in other industries that are happening in the united states right now yeah but i think craft brewers as a as as a whole are they're craft brewing for a reason yeah money no no because really are they yes, I mean, I, I, unfortunately, no, no, Tim, maybe, maybe Tim, unfortunately, when money is involved, money, people are financially motivated. Sure, sure, there's money, but they're 
their entree into it. I would say most people who get into brewing professionally, (laughs) maybe not brewery owners, but brewers Brewers. are not doing it for the money. Well, they're not making a lot of money. No, stop. Channel marker in, uh, and and I'm I'm going there. I'm going down this road. Mr. Lactose is here. He has whatever stake he has in channel marker. We know that already. They owe him all of the fucking money. (laughs) He's shaking his head no. Yeah, it's fine. He can shake his head all he wants. Um, uh, Channel marker brewed recently with incognito flavor. Uh, hot flavored product bullshit, whatever it is. They're doing that because they're trying to push the boundaries of hot flavor and beer, not for any other reason than to sell the hoppiest beer they can possible. It was their third anniversary beer too. So I think they're trying to make a really over the top beer. Of course it's all it's for it's financially motivated and I don't fault them for that. That's literally the industry right now, you're trying, but right now, what's happening in the beer industry is you're trying to differentiate yourself so that you can make it. And one of the ways that you do that is creating these over the top beers that are uh, going to catch the attention of the population. It's financially motivated. You can't yeah. tell me otherwise. Well, what's what's I'm, the I'm snap- between- like, if you I guys mean, can hear me, had, I'm like pounding my desk at this point because I'm like right, fired up. Right. What's the difference between incognito and using Lupomax or a cryohop? Well, right now we don't know because incognito doesn't have that much information out there. But incognito seems like it's way more processed than that other stuff. Have have Uh, you had any beers with incognito in it? No, the first one I've heard about coming out with it is the... uh, Oh, I mean... I mean, the other half has been doing it for years. Uh, They're high-density hop-charge beers. Uh, They're like HDHC. uh, Yeah, great. Their distribution is in uh, Brooklyn, New York only, so I'm not getting other half beers right here. They've done like a recipe swap with Trillium, and you were able to get that beer through Trillium, and I tried it, and it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, what expense? It was the pure essence of Citra in the beer without having to, like I'm sure, without having to. This is why McDonald's French fries are, are amazing. Hey, uh, uh, they're fan- it was it was fantastic. Yes, McDonald's French fries are the best French fries on the planet because of how processed so you're, you're, they you're are. Not unless you're, because they're un- unless you're uh, go, go ahead, Joe. They're great. I'm just saying. Look, yes, they're it, amazing. I agree not, with you. You're not surviving right. on beer. I don't care like how processed it is. Maybe that were. Well, how much beer does Joe drink? Listen, we're, this is know. going off the rails right now. Beer, uh, Joe drinks. I drink, Phil drinks a ton of fucking beer. Yes, it impacts our fucking diet, what we're drinking in, in uh, uh, for beer consumption, uh, because we drink a ton of beer. It makes a difference for us. All right. I hear what you're I, saying. Yeah. I think the part of it, oil part of it is a small... Uh, percentage I think of the uh, overall. Yeah, I, I think it's a small it. price to pay right. for and, 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 a really and great you, product. When you dilute what is in there, oil-wise, into the entire beer, I would love to know what percentage of the like a five-gallon keg is the hop oil, right? You, you know what it is because you put it in. I, I've used. Hop oh, it's extract. a tiny percent. It, it's, I, like I, a, it's like a. A couple of milliliters. Uh, Tim, I don't. I. I'm not. I, I totally understand that perspective. I, again, what I've been saying 
and I'll say it, you know, say it again uh, for the audience that's listening is um, the worry that I have is where it continues to go. Uh, That's really the the issue that I'm I'm struggling with is not where it is today, uh, because I do understand why people are again, we're in this hop head um, demand environment in the industry. People want hoppier and hoppier beers that we're going to find innovation and technology that's going to do that. But it's where does it stop before we start to artificially um, create those hot profiles and that ig- incognito stuff seems like the bridge or the first step to creating artificial hot flavor just for the sake of appeasing those individuals uh, that it's a hundred percent natural product i don't see it as any different than any other co2 extract or ethanol Phil, extract. you need to stop immediately because we know we see on on ingredient labels every effing day people calling things a hundred percent natural and it's not we see that every day do you not see that like all right I, the folks that are listening that. to this don't see me looking at phil right now rolling his eyes <laughs> i know that he's rolling his eyes because i see him doing it uh, but seriously we see this all the time <clears throat> when we have uh you know natural ingredients listed on ingredient labels on products all over the this place is an all and we know they're product. not natural ingredients. the only ingredient that's going to be listed is hops it sounds to me like you fuckers have been brainwashed by this bullshit, and yep. I'm the only person that hasn't. I mean, yeah, I'm pulling up put, the. Here, you know what? Might have put microchips in it. I think. It's yeah, in my brain. That's right. I can't wait to use it as a home. I can't. Yeah, I can't wait, wait for the five G in my hop oil to uh, to tell me what to do and to pull all the information out of me and track me and all that other shit. Man, you I, know, I, I can't be the first. This conversation is going to do one of two things. This conversation is either going to validate me with the masses out there that agree that you guys are just batshit crazy, or it's going to officially get me canceled. Uh, <laughs> and, you guys are, and you guys are not going to hear me on uh, next week's show because I've been kicked off. I'm just going to call. As soon as it becomes uh, available to homebrewers, I'm going to make an all uh, incognito. <laughs> That's hey, it. I mean, That's the only agreement. You know, Don't tell anybody pro- and you'll have uh, beer of the day. When yep. the product ships yep. with its own safety data sheet, I mean, that's that tells you right there what you need to know. Right. Yeah, it tells safety you what the, sheet, what, the, what that company wants you to know. It uh, it has first aid measures. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. There really, actually, there really is ingestion of don't get it in your eyes. Cause irritation it. of. Wow. Huh. Don't drink it straight. This product is purely a mixture of bitter and aroma substances and hop oils extracted from dry cones of cultivated hop plant Humulus lupulus. If you inhale it, move to fresh air. You need to wash your If you inhale it, move it to fresh air. Like, listen to that fucking statement for one second, please. I mean, you Uh, concentrate anything. Yeah, you concentrate any chemical compounds from anything, yeah. There's, there's plenty you of guys I, are the apologists I'm, I'm the for the man right now, is what you guys you need are. To move the fresh air before it's done. 
Hey, you know, if, uh, when did you, when, like, when did this happen? When did you guys become the, you know, if it was any other industry, y'all would be fighting back, but because it's your coveted hop beer industry, you all are like apologists for I mean, them. this stuff is written as that's a, right. A 55 gallon. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Joe, because you have, thank you, Joe, J- Joe. Thank you. Mr. Lactose, which we knew this all along, but thank you, Mr. Lactose. This stuff is written as if a 55-gallon drum falls over, which, Joe, you are a firefighter. Uh, The extinguishing media should be dry powder and foam. Marco, what are you drinking tonight? Whiskey. Right, so... Oh, no wonder he's fired up. Yes, I've had several drams of of whiskey tonight. When you think about it, right? That's processed, is it not? How is it processed? You it's mean about distilled. distilled? It's yeah. distilled, right? It is concentrated terpenes. Yeah. What the hell, man? You're yeah, I'd, I'd say if they start, if, if they start um, taking the tannins from oak and processing them down into an extract and adding them to uh, the whiskeys that I'm drinking, still, then yes, it's still processed. I, I All agree. right, so we've completely gone off the rails. And this entire segment was not supposed to be a uh, rant and rave segment about hop oils. It was supposed to tell our audience what was out there available how for so them awesome. and how, <laughs> how useful they could or could not right. be. And holy shit, did we derail that conversation? Um, so, uh, if you are interested in hop uh, extracts and hop oils, there are some extracts out there. There are a couple oils available on the homebrew market. Um, do your research, as uh, Marco would probably say. If you're willing to use said oils, uh, go for it. Um, we've mentioned his name a couple times on this show and, and another. Scott Janish has fantastic blog posts about this kind of stuff has a great book about it and uh, new IPA new Scott IPA. if you are IPA. listening we probably deserve a little bit of money for the 100 listeners who just went out and bought your book um, yep uh, Tim is showing it uh, on our screens right now so uh, I read it every night before I go to bed if, <laughs> if anything this conversation probably has made you more interested in what the hell is a hop oil and why the hell is Marco so fucking pissed off about it so uh, psycho he really has gone off the rails i blame it on whatever bullshit missouri bourbon whiskeys it's called nulu it's called nulu it's a they're toasted barrel bourbon exclusive Mm. to mississippi only and it's wonderful and all we brew is moonshine beer um that true story that's a whole nother that's a whole whole nother fucking story yeah Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening to this week's show. Uh, hopefully you got something out of it. I'm not sure what other than us <laughs> yeah, Marco bitching. But, uh, I was going to say, I thought we were going to talk about like Lupo Max, uh, yeah. Cryo, the differences. And you know what? We'll save that for them. another show. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, thanks guys for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time on Strike Mash Boil. The Strike Mash Boil podcast is produced by the Merrimack Valley Homebrew Club, an American Homebrewers Association sanctioned club. Follow us on Instagram at MVHBC. Join the conversation in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash MVHBC. And check out our website at MVHBC.com. Mm-hmm.